92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Happy Tuesday on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Wesson Walker Show. Willie P once again in for Walker. We expect Walker to be back tomorrow. But Wes Bryant is here, Eddie Bitty Fitty is here, and we thank you for joining us here on this 20th day of December. A lot to get to today. It is a second take Tuesday. We've got some big college football news. We've got MLS schedule release day. And a big Hornet win as well to talk about, Wes Bryant. Yes, last night stayed up. They called it uh, a miracle after midnight, mellow after midnight, whichever one you want to go with. But, uh, yeah, stayed up for that whole game, watched it. It was a really good game. We got a little juju in that Sacramento building over the last couple of years, don't we? Yeah, man. They play the Kings. Every time they play the Kings at home or away, it seems like they always have a, a great matchup. Big win for them last night, uh, getting their eighth of the season. And uh, I think for a lot of people uh, who are rooting against the Hornets to try and tank, uh, I think that we're a little disappointed. But I think we're actually starting to see the continued maturation of year three of LaMelo Ball. I'm very curious to see what ends up happening with him as he continues to get more games under him. The combination of him and Hayward playing well, it's something that Jeff and I were talking about before uh, we came on air. It's it's very, very encouraging to see this start to develop now. And I think once they get Cody Martin and DSJ back, we'll start to see the real maturation of the real Hornets. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, LaMelo had 16 career high, 16 points uh, in the fourth quarter last night. And I was saying, you know, and I've been saying over the last couple of games, it's starting to look like the game comes easy to him. It's starting to look like he's more in control of what he's doing on the court. So I've expect him to continue his trajectory this year and I think next year's the year we're really going to see everything that he's capable of when he's in total control of his game. Plenty to get to today here on Weston Walker. We'll get into that and also get into uh, what should the Hornets grocery list look like based on where they are and what they need in order to get themselves ready to roll uh, and maybe turn this thing around here going into the latter part of this season. They're already more than a third of the way through. But today is a dominating day when it turns into the Panthers with a second take Tuesday. And we'll start by getting off the bus with that. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! We start every Wesson Walker program, and with Second Take Tuesday being today, after your second watch of this game, what is your overarching revelation about the way this game went for the Carolina Panthers? Well, again, it's just the you know simplicity of the offense. The way they're running is very safe. Uh, it's very try to avoid mistakes at all times and just try to conserve. And so uh, that's the thing I continue to take. I felt like the Steelers were all over them. And as I said, it's going to be very interesting to see if other teams take the Steelers' game plan and just continue to implement that each week uh, and try to shut down this offense and make Sam Darnold be uh, the hero, so to speak. And this is part of the reason why I don't, I don't want to say I don't like that Steve Wilkes got the interim job because I think he has shown some good things over uh-huh. the course of time getting the interim job. But I feel like we get trapped into this feeling that this is actually the real way that it would go under Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes right now, 
is trying to make the most, and I think Ben McAdoo by extension, is trying to make the most of a point of deficit. You do not have a franchise quarterback on this roster. You never have. You don't have all the pieces that you would want to have if you were a team that is trying to compete in the largesque sense in the, in the NFC South and over the course of the NFC. I think losing Christian McCaffrey for as much as the McCaffrey people who love that deal would like you believe, I still feel like this would be a pretty darn good team with him on it. And if you have him this past week, I feel like maybe it's a different football game because you at least have more of a dynamic uh, playmaker that can go away from the ground and pound style. I do feel like they found more of an identity with Deontay Foreman, but you can't sit here and tell me that what you're seeing San Francisco do with McCaffrey isn't something they could have helped the Panthers. And so what I'm trying to say is that it's providing an unfair evaluation in my mind of Steve Wilkes, which I think has some people, you know, all in or all out based off of just one result, which is, I think, unfair. Yeah, and you knew that this game was going to be tough for him if he lost it because it was just a game, as I said, Panther fans felt like the fact that they were 500 uh, under Wilkes, they looked at the Steelers and their record uh, as a much lesser football team, forgetting the fact that they were 5-8 and eight coming into this game as well, and an inconsistent football team uh, for the most part. So, I think that them losing this game, I think, took a lot of wind out of people's sails as far as uh, Wilkes getting the job because they felt like this was a game they would easily get, especially with the backup quarterback coming out there for the Steelers. Emmitt Trubisky, a guy that is a uh, turnover machine that hasn't proven anything to anybody really in this league except that he could be a backup. I think a lot of Panthers fans felt this win was in the bag, and when they got surprised, I think that really made them down on Steve Wilkes. Here is Vashti Hurd talking about how the Wilkes bandwagon is starting to dwindle based off of a singular result. Fans are so fickle. I, I mean, <laughs> it's like one week, it's like, oh, take the interim tag off midseason. <laughs> and, you know, they lose to the Steelers and are still in contention for a playoff spot. And it's like, oh, well, he lost the game with one job. No, like fans are more. And I don't, you know, the, the sentiment that, that there was apathy among fans in the stadium, I didn't get that at all. You know, I keep my, my ears to the street and, you know, pay attention to what folks are saying on social media. The high coming into this game was to me I hadn't seen that much hype since Cam returned last year and and the Panthers lost to the Commanders no I don't buy that this this team is clearly different the team is actually contending for a playoff spot and and maybe by luck because the NFC is so NFC South is so bad but things could be worse so yeah I don't agree with that I mean come on bro one game like last week y'all were ready to crown the man king of Charlotte yep. and now you want to like now you want to say oh he lost the job no I'm not going to sit here and say that he lost the job with the Steeler victory, but the way the Steeler, or sorry, with the uh, Steeler loss, I should say, but the way they played in that Steeler loss, like not being able to do just the simple things that you are trying to do and, and, and see that, I feel like is a, a glaring thing that I think you, there's a lot of room between I don't think you should get the job versus taking them to task for not looking good on Sunday. Yeah, I think glaring is the right word because I think the Steelers really put a glaring light on uh, how this offense would look going forward when teams start to figure it out. And if they don't go out and get that franchise quarterback and also just the philosophy of this team, and I think that people are starting to see, it. as I always talk about, how do things look? You know, and does this offense look fun? And I think if you're coming out scoring 25, 30 points and you're throwing the ball around and then you have 
dynamic running plays and, you know, you're getting a lot of chunk plays. Even if you're still losing games, I think fans want fun and excitement. And the way that this team plays, it's not fun and excitement unless you're really a football purist and into the ground and pound lifestyle it's exciting for you then but I think the fans too just kind of saw like okay it doesn't take much for us to be limited by other teams and so they feel like they might want somebody with fresher ideas a little bit more creativity uh, in their play calling even though they're having to do all of this with a quarterback like Sam Darnold who if you give him too much of a leash then you know, we know the rest of that sentence when you give somebody too much rope. That is Wes. I'm Willie, and it is Wes and Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. One of the things that came out of this week uh, from Mike Kay of the Charlotte Observer is the fact that he's got a source in the building that says if Steve Wilkes is given the full-time opportunity, he's not committed to this type of ground-and-pound uh, style forever. He wants the, the Panthers to identify a franchise quarterback with dynamic traits. The issue that would arise, though, and this is something you and I talked about yesterday, is what position are the Panthers going to be in come mm-hmm. draft day? Right now, they're sitting around that 8-9 slot. It could balloon up to 14 or later, depending on how uh, the last three weeks of the regular season go. I don't like when people are like, oh, well, you know, if we were bad and we were this crappy, we would be able to get Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, et cetera, and so on. Based on where the Panthers are projected to be, Wes, do you feel like it is something that they can get? Do you feel like it's attainable for them to get a quarterback with dynamic traits in this draft? Yeah, I do think so, because I saw Mike Jeff yesterday that actually had them sitting at their spot and getting C.J. Stroud, and I think that would be a optimum position for the Panthers if they're able to uh, make the playoffs or if they're able to kind of just stay where they are and have that slot where they're able to get them. Either way, if they're able to have C.J. Stroud fall into their lap, I think that's great. I just think the thing is, if he doesn't want to stay in this style of offense, who is he going to get to come and do that? Probably going to go get one of the hot coordinators, and then it's going to turn into a Tony D'Amato, Nick Crozier situation for those who aren't familiar from any given Sunday to where Nick Crozier was just sitting there plotting and waiting for Tony D'Amato to be out of the job so that he could step in there because we know that offensive coordinators are the hot thing, especially the young guys. And so you would be afraid somebody may poach him from your organization. So then you have another conundrum. Do you want to keep Steve Wilkes? Do you want to hire an offensive coordinator as the guy? Or if you do get Wilkes to go and get an offensive coordinator that's a hot guy, is he going to eventually have to supplant him because you don't want him going elsewhere? And that's the thing you talk about when it comes to hot guy i've always kind of been another proponent you can get a hotter guy if you're giving him the head job but when it comes to this position if you are so protective and wanting to protect steve wilkes and saying hey you're going to take the chance and maybe make him the defensive coordinator and not the head coach you're taking the chance that number one he goes elsewhere and doesn't want that and number two you have to start everything from scratch because of the fact you might have him take al holcomb with him it's all about whether or not you can make a home run hire with whoever is running your offense next year. I don't believe that Ben McAdoo is back here in 2023. I feel like if that happens, there'll be a ride on Mitten Moorhead. And I wouldn't <laughs> be necessarily uh, disagreeing with that because I think you need to have something a lot more innovative and a lot more, you know, 2023. 
that sits around where the Panthers are looking to try and make their offense work. I realized why McAdoo was brought in here. McAdoo was brought in here to try and get the most out of either Baker Mayfield or Sam Donald, whoever got the starting job. It hasn't worked. So I think because of that, you have to figure out, okay, what is more important to you to pair with your young quarterback? An offensive coordinator who's on the rise or a head coach that's arrived? And I think that's the part of it that's going to be the hardest decision for David Tepper, Scott Fitter, or whoever makes the final dotted line decision on that to have to decipher going into 2023. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's going to be the singular factor uh, for the Panthers as far as this search goes. I think that Coach Wilkes has showed a lot as far as being able to get the job. But like I said, I've always said I'm not sure that offensive philosophy is going to last. But if he's committed to changing things up and being more dynamic, I just wonder what detriment does that come to him, especially if he is not the primary play caller because we know that he's a defensive guy by nature. A mini news bump here from the Panthers. They have just announced that they are activating or at least designating for a turn uh, kick returner Andre Roberts. If you're right, remember way, way back, uh, he injured his knee in the season opener, has not played in the last 13 games. He could be somebody who provides a little bit of a spark, maybe somebody to draw some attention away from LaVisca Chenault on some of those smokescreen plays. And also, uh, we know he can be a weapon in the return game. We know the return game has been largely a, uh, uh, even though Raheem Brockshear has looked all right in that role, we know the reason that Andre Roberts was brought here was to bring some more dynamism to that particular role. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what he does and comes in. I mean, I feel like there's a reason why he was sitting around this late for the Panthers to be able to pick him up. So we'll we'll see what he's able to do. I'm not going to say I expect a whole lot, but again, we'll see. It is a second take Tuesday on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Later this hour, a campus corner. Uh, ACC quarterback from the triangle on the move. We now know yeah. his destination spot, which we'll talk about coming up at 1245 in terms of Devin Leary. But coming up next... We look at the offensive side of the football from Sunday. What we like, what we not like. Believe me, there's a lot more in that second category than the first. It is Willie P. in for Walker Mail. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. WFNC, Weston Walker, Willie in for Walker. You just glide into the break off of that, man. You get that smooth harmonizing over the top that. Son of Swede doesn't like that I said hot guy, by the way. Apparently that triggers him. <laughs> I, I mean, look, you, you were saying hot guy a lot, and uh, maybe you were just hot for the guy. And look, if you are, that's... no. You know, no harm, no foul. No, you know, I think I think the guy just wanted to know where Willie P stick because you talk about your wife all the time, but then you get on the radio talking about being hot for guys. No, I didn't say I was hot for a guy. I said I need to find the hot guy who is in the hot coordinator who is out there. Is what I was trying to do. back hair and acne. That's what that's what you're hot for. He doesn't have to have slip back hair. I would like him to have acne though, for whatever reason. What? Then, Why are you laughing over there? That's just like a very specific, oh, I want him to have acne. I want him to look like Mike McDaniel. If they could go in a lab and give me Mike McDaniel's clone. Does he I'd, have acne? I mean, he looks like, he, he, he looks he looks <laughs> kind of nerdy. This is a guy who also admitted to not showering for three days. Like, do you want, I mean, look, hygiene's at the utmost importance in this society. If if he right. if he can design up, if he, if he can, uh, as we like to say, if he can dial it up, 
I don't care if he goes on a 30-day hunger strike or shower strike. Mike McDaniel's struggling in these streets, though. He is. I'm, I'm just saying. I, I <laughs> any, Anything that looks better than what we've had on offense. We, we, we've not looked like we had a plan on offense in a very long time. For sure. And we do not have Jalen Waddle and the Cheetah. That's a hell of a combination, That's right there, true. buddy. That is true. <laughs> I'm saying like now, now for Steve Wilkes' offense, those two would be perfect because you cannot make the box heavy with those two. Uh, there is also a, a a concern, and this is being brought up by uh, our good friend Andy, who texts us on the Garage Degree text line seven zero four five seven zero nine six ten. He said, "I'd love to hear more discussion of what it means to build a good staff." Part of the reason he's been hesitant to say Tep should just give Steve Wilkes the job is he thinks that that has to be a big part of the interview process. Mm -hmm. I do feel like giving Al Holcomb the defensive coordinator job, I think you've gotten more out of this defense than Phil Snow did, which I think is is something that's a feather in his cap. I think the biggest question is, what is he going to do on the offensive side of the football? And that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason why when it comes to defensive-minded head coaches, and this is not a Steve Wilkes exclusive thing, I've always been reticent to hire defensive head coaches because I feel like you have to go out and get a second head coach to be on the offensive side of the football because historically those defensive minded head coaches aren't as involved on the offensive side of the football. Steve Wilkes, though, has at least proven to me over the course of the first couple of weeks of his tenure that he is going to be involved. He is going to be in the room where it seemed like there are other ones who aren't necessarily of that mindset. Yeah. It's going to be very important for him to put together a staff. And a lot of these NFL coaches, they're so well-connected and they know so many guys that they normally can put together, you know, semi-decent staffs to good staffs. But at the end of the day, you have to have those hosses up front. I mean, now, Robert Sala's done a great job uh, with the Jets, but they've also done a great job of getting that talent. And I say all that to say, you know, he was lauded as a defensive coordinator in the Bay, but he had... A bunch of dogs on that defense, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of them. They did an excellent job drafting there. So, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think Wilkes is going to have to try to put together a really good staff, but they're also going to have to, like I said, just continue to build depth, depth continue to add difference makers uh, at different spots on this roster. So, you're saying it's more of a personnel issue than it is a a a, a coaching staff Oh, no issue. question. You have to have... The dogs, like they say, they always say the Jimmy's and Joe's line and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, you can scheme all you want, but if you don't have the guys to execute that, it's going to be hard. So I think it's it's almost equal parts both, but I put a little bit more lean on the personnel. And then, you know, of course it's glaring if you have the personnel and you still can't get the job done, you're, you're disappointing. But, you know, when we look at the best teams in this league, and you look at the best rosters in this league, these are the teams that are going to be competing in the playoffs. There aren't many playoff teams that you can look at and say that their coach willed them to the playoffs. No, they have players. They have dogs. They have difference makers at a lot of the key positions and good to solid to pretty good players at most positions. Uh, guy, man, our good friend, the Miggle guy, who is uh, one of Willie P's uh, biggest haters, says more out of the D did we forget about Sunday. We'll get to the defense coming up because I honestly think the way the defense played outside of that one drive, I'm not I'm not as angry with them as I might have been, uh, say, yesterday off of the second watch. But yeah. we'll do a second take Tuesday here focusing on the offensive side of the football here. The, the biggest issue that I have is the lack of, uh, from an overarching standpoint, is the lack of diversity in the way that this team 
tried to make things happen. Like they really, really tried to go with their ground and pound pipe mentality, mm-hmm. and they did not have a pivot off of that. The things that worked for them in previous weeks did not work for them in this week. Uh, and and one of those plays was, so you mentioned the the list the Liska Chenault smoke screen, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They ran that play and they had Chenault basically covered up. It did turn into a Darnold check down to Shuba Hubbard for 45 yards on their first touchdown drive. Mm-hmm. But I think that when you look at it, it does seem to mean that maybe a lot of those things that worked for the Panthers in previous weeks didn't exactly uh, translate over to this week because they now have tape on them and they have an ability to adjust off of those things. Well, the thing I was talking about last week, I brought this up about Chenault. I said they don't run anything else for him. And then at some point in the game, I have to find it in my notes. They did try to throw a slant to him that was incomplete. I found that interesting. I said, man, looks like they're finally running some other stuff for Chanel. Because I remember him in college. He was a, a good player. Obviously, he's in the NFL. And I'm like, why don't they run more stuff for this guy than this? To me, it, it is a big uh, indicator when he's in the game that that's what they're going to do. And I think defenses start to see that. And I was questioning, why don't they? Now, I know they try to do some things off of that or try to give you some some uh, window dressing to try to fool you at times. But for the most part, you know when Chenault's in there and it's a passing play involving him. It's going to be a, uh, a pop pass out to the flats. So, um yeah, that's what I said, and I agree with you completely as far as that goes with him, and they need to try to get him involved in some other ways. What is one play that stands out to you that represents the Panthers' offensive futility over the course of this game on Sunday? Ooh, um, mm, oh, yeah, yeah, and to bring that up, that was uh, third and eight at 640 in the second quarter when they tried to throw um, Chenault the uh, smoke screen. No, when they try to throw the the slant. The slant route, yeah. Yeah, and Highsmith got the pressure. Here's the other part of this. The one thing that I come back to is that their pressure took out anything that was intermediate or deep down the field. Yeah. They they could not get any kind of pass protection. It looked like last year, honestly, with Sam Donald in some of those games where they wanted to throw the football down the field, but they just did not have the time to do so because of all the pressure, and Sam didn't stick in the pocket nearly as well as he had had. Yeah. There were a couple times earlier in the game where he was climbing the pocket, that one throw to Terrace Marshall and the other one to DJ Moore on the opening drive. It's like, okay, I can see you, Sam. I see you actually making some progressions, but the happy feet returned once those edges and, and icky Quanu and Taylor Moten, neither of them had a very good football game, even after second review. Yeah, and so when we go back into it, uh, I'm talking about, I will bring up the play where it kind of showed the glaring need for the Panthers. I know we've been using that word a lot today, glaring, but it showed the need for the Panthers for them to try to go out and find a guy at tight end as well, because on the play on the goal line, uh, when they had goal to go, and it was 745, in the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. second goal, when Alex Highsmith split two tight ends to get in there and make a tackle for loss. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you look at the best tight ends in this league, not saying you have to go find a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey or some of those guys, but those guys are complete tight ends that will block and will tackle. And for the Panthers, I mean, not tackle, but will block and will catch. And so it just showed, you know, just another example of not only do they need a guy in the passing game from the tight end position, but also just a guy at that tight end position is going to be an extension of the offensive line well, they, and they, get down and dirty. They thought that guy was going to be Tommy Tremble because yeah. they, they one of the things that uh, 
that not only James Campen said, but also uh, Ben McAdoo said before the season is that Tommy Trimble can block the sun and that, you know, the pass catching part of his game was actually supposed to be the developmental part. And the same thing can be said for Ian Thomas, but uh, for whatever reason, Ian Thomas has not made good on that contract that he's had so far this year. So that that is a glaring issue right now when it comes to the Panthers not getting enough out of the tight end position in either sense from a catch a pass catching standpoint and also from a blocking standpoint. The eight yard touchdown throw to TJ Moore. Oh, to uh, DJ Moore rather, not <laughs> yeah. TJ Moore. I I I was thinking TJ Watt and DJ Moore, and it yes. somehow it somehow came together. But the touchdown throw to DJ, that was one of the better throws I'd seen Sam Donald make. I have no idea how he fit that into as tight of a window as it was. Uh, being there in the stadium, it looked like we were, our view was blocked, so I had no idea that he actually caught that ball. It looked a little bit better on film and on tape, but man, he threw it into an infinitesimally small window. Wow. And because of that, big word. it's part of the man. reason why I look at this and I say, <laughs> teams are now starting to really clamp down on DJ Moore from a separation standpoint. And you need to have somebody on the opposite side to at least get him some more freedom. Because while Terrace Marshall's had a good good couple of games here, I would say, you know, he can do more. And I think we need him to do more in order to get DJ a little bit more free. And that's the thing. So you talk about that play. We know Sam Donald was a top five pick. So the talent is there as far as just from can he make a play every now and again that makes you say, oh, that's why he was a number one or a, a number one pick of a team. Yeah. So that play kind of showed you that. But when you talk about the at 120 and third and 13 in the first quarter, that 41-yard completion to Terrence Marshall. Now, albeit it was on a busted coverage, but since week eight, his 21 yards per catch leads all receivers in the league. So I said that to bring up to the question to you and to the listeners as well. Do you feel like it's maybe just a lack of opportunities and maybe with more opportunities he can show more? Do you feel like he is a qualified number two just from what you've seen and it's just a matter of him needing to get more opportunities to make plays? I don't know if I can answer that yet because I haven't seen him with a quarterback that I project as the actual future of this team because I do feel like part of this is on Sam. It is on PJ. It is on Baker. The fact that they haven't been able to find TMJ. Granted, TMJ struggled with health during his first season. So from that perspective, you look at that and you say that came out. I do feel like they need more depth across the the wide receiver position. I, I feel like you need to figure out who your number two is during this offseason, whether that's Terrace Marshall Jr., whether that's the draft pick, whether that's somebody you get uh, in the free agent market. Those things are hard to find, but I don't think Shy Smith is that guy yet. We mentioned Sammy Watkins yesterday, and I wasn't trying to make Shy Smith feel like it's better than Sammy Watkins. I think it was more trying to indict what Sammy Watkins is supposed to be and what he ends up actually being for these teams across as a part of the reason why he's been let go by so many teams. But you would say to counter that, there's also a reason why these other guys pick him up because of that potential. What I'm trying to say in a long-winded sense is that I don't know if they have enough depth behind DJ Moore Mm -hmm. to really figure out what his value is and what he can be in a long term because and and well, while he signed that long deal because of his productivity so far mm-hmm. he's done that despite not having 
a legit number two alongside of him. And that includes Robbie Anderson, who was a large disappointment here. That includes Terrace Marshall, who is, I think, getting better, but still not all the way there yet. And even the other guys he's had here in his Panther career, you wouldn't say any of those guys is, oh, my God, I'm going to scare you and draw attention away from number two. Can I interest you, though, in the fact that Terrace Marshall, according to PFF, has a higher offensive grade than him and a slightly less by maybe tenths of points of a receiver grade. From last week? No, just, overall, just overall this season. And, but, you know, he's got to beat and run blocking right? by 15 points. Say it what? Has, it has been in less snaps, though, I would believe, right? Yeah, he's got uh, DJ Moore has 796 snaps to Terrace Marshall for 71. So I mean, the, 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 I, I'm pretty big gap. I'm not. I'm not saying that Terrace Marshall can't be a player, and we've. I, I've seen more out of Terrace Marshall in the last four or five weeks. I'm just presenting the info. I'm not, I don't think he's a better player either. But no. I was just presenting the info that just to say that you know, as far as when you dig in, maybe a little more context. You know, he's. He seems to be playing some pretty good ball. He is. Is there a guy that's benefited more on offense from the coaching change and the change of philosophy than Terrace Marshall? Because well, Deontay Foreman. Wow. Okay, that's easy though because I mean they traded away McCaffrey like someone had to run the ball. Like Marshall was a guy that couldn't get on the field for whatever reason when Matt Rule was here. Walker will tell you because he didn't want to play hurt, and that's smart on the players' perspective. But I mean, I mean this guy has grown in the last two months, and the guy we thought he could have been starting all the way back last year. I would also add Chuba Hubbard to that list. And Raheem Blackshear, both. Basically, all the running backs have had a big renaissance since the trade and since the coaching change. But I think of the wide receivers and the other skill position players, Terrace Marshall Jr. has definitely had a, a big uh, growth over the course of the last four, five, six weeks. I'm just saying I have to see more, and I want to see what a new quarterback who is not Donald Baker or TJ does to that. We know those LSU boys. They got some pedigree. Of course. I'm sure in the offseason he gets with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase and the crew, and they work out and they apply that pressure and try to help listen, him be better. Listen, when, when Terrace Marshall Jr. was getting dogged by God and everybody during the draft, I sat here on an <laughs> NFL draft show, and I said, you know what? This actually is something that I feel like can be a good growth spot for the Panthers, and I thought they got a steal because of where his uh, concerns were. They were concerned about the foot. They were concerned about the leg coming out of LSU, and it's part of the reason why he didn't play as much last year. But one of the things that Matt Rule actually kind of leaked out in one of his press conferences was that, hey, you know, we really tried to, to kind of hold him back in his rookie season because they knew that he wasn't fully healthy yet. And now that he is fully healthy, he's actually getting separation and looking good on the field. But to me, my issue is that I still need to see him draw attention away from DJ Moore. And I just don't know if I've seen that enough, especially because of the fact that you don't have a quarterback who's getting the protection that he needs to get in order to find Marshall because the biggest threat for him is being able to take the top off the defense because of that speed and because of that frame. And I'm just, I've not seen that other than pointed spots during this season. That's my only concern. That's a fair point. Anything else that stands out to you from the offensive side on second take just before we throw to a fitty flash? Uh, mainly, like I said, just uh, the troubles that the offensive line had. I think that the Steelers did a great job of creating matchups and really putting pressure on Darnold. Darnold was, you know, under duress a lot of the day. So uh, I just thought that was interesting, especially Icky's matchup with High Smith. I thought High Smith got the best of him uh, overall in the matchup when you look at the raw numbers and. Uh, Icky's got another great challenge coming this week with Aiden Hutchinson, so he better be ready. Now, 
my only thing that I come back to from a decision-making standpoint, we talked about this yesterday, I, I, lo- I saw the look that Sam was trying to get, but that hole closed up so quickly. They disguised their look very well on third and eight from the Pittsburgh 10 when they were down 21-7. I still don't know why they went for a quarterback draw if you knew that you were going to kick the football. Are, are we sure that wasn't a busted play? Because, I mean, he pulled that ball very quickly. The I'm, motion of how he did after he got the snap looked to me like it was a true draw. It was like a, he it did looked, the drop. Like a, he did like the quick drop. drop and then started running. That looked like I got it pulled up right now. That looked like a draw to me. That's a that that is a 100% draw. Or ex, well, it, looks, it, it looks like the guys are running routes, but he saw the middle of the field open. The problem is there's two dudes coming right there in the middle that are in front of the sticks. I'm looking at it right now. I have no idea why this is. I mean, maybe you're hoping that Bozeman sheds his man and gets off at one of those two guys and turns it into a, uh, a block downfield. That wasn't happening. Bozeman was awful Sunday. It was not good. It was not good. I'm looking at that play right now. I, I, have, I have no idea why that was, that was still a draw. No <laughs> idea why that was a draw. NFL coaches sometimes, coaches in general, man, they get cute, and you just wonder what they're, what they're thinking sometimes. They were also hoping that on the on the little uh, eye candy motion there with Chuba Hubbard that that would draw one of the safeties out. Unfortunately, it drew a linebacker, and I just think that that play was doomed from, from Jump Street. Yeah, man. Tough call. Tough results. That is a second take Tuesday. <laughs> look at the Panther offense. We'll look at the defense, which I can tell you, after watching the game the second time, I wasn't as upset with the defense as I would have been, aside from that one 11-minute, 43-second drive. It is now time for a Fitty Flash. Well, guys, some big news coming out of Augusta National. The, mm. uh, the, the Augusta uh, National Golf Club announced on Tuesday that any golfer who qualified for the Masters based on its previous criteria will be invited to play in the 2023 Masters, including 16 players that are or, that are currently competing in the Live Golf League, and, and that includes six former champions like Bubba Watson, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed, and Charles Swartzel, who I don't think has won a golf tournament since winning the Masters Correct. back when Roy collapsed on that epic Sunday in the early 2010s. Wes, you've been on the show now over a month. I know you don't like baseball. Where do you come when it comes to golf? Do you tune in for the golf majors? Bleep no, unless Tiger Woods is in contention to win it. Other than that, I'm very much a novice again. I know who who are the good players and who are not by watching SportsCenter, and that's where it stops. If I want to take a nap, though, I'll put it on go. Like ASMR. Wow. <laughs> we, uh, Wa- or Willie, I about called you Weston Walker, and now you're Willie. You're like somebody's grandma calling all the kids before they get it right. For the record, Charles Schwartzel does have four victories since... The Masters went in 2011. No Just majors, though, right? No, no majors. Um, what, what, what but, do you, you, but you get an automatic invite back if you were for, for right. life. If you were, uh, what, what do you make of this as a guy? that Because you know, there's been the biggest controversy about mm-hmm. once the Live Tour kind of separated from the PGA, what was going to happen with those guys playing in majors? The Masters is the most important one here in America, and those guys will be allowed to compete at Augusta National. Well, that was always the Masters is always going to be kind of at the forefront because they were the first one up to try and uh, designate some new rules. We'd seen kind of the PGA of America and the USGA kind of have some some pointed thoughts about the Live Tour. 
I don't think it's going to change the way that they go about these tournaments. Maybe they won't play the PGA Championship because the PGA will take a hard-line stance on this, but I don't see the Royal and Ancient doing this. I don't see the U.S. Golf Association doing this because it will limit their fields, it will dilute their fields, and all of a sudden, you know, it's all going to come down to the almighty dollar. They'll probably not be able to wear live stuff on their on their bags and stuff like that, but they'll be able to play. I'm not surprised by it. Uh, the Augusta national golf club has never been about anything more than just trying to make as much money as they possibly can and that's part of the reason why they limit their tv coverage because they want people to actually pay those exorbitant amounts when it comes to those those passes if you will for an appetizer for the campus corner we talked about that at the end of the show yesterday five-star transfer travis hunter who's transferring out of jackson state Looks like Georgia may be the early front runner to get the only five star right now in the transfer portal. And that, not that it would be a big loss if, if he doesn't go and follow his head coach, Deion Sanders, to Colorado. But that could be the first trickle down effect of Deion struggling to get the type of talent that he proclaimed he was going to bring with him to Boulder, Colorado. I guess that Louis luggage is on its way somewhere else. I mean, as much as much as you want to have loyalty to head coaches, uh, the the NIL opportunities in Athens, Georgia, you can get you can get some uh, some grindhouse burgers down there. You can get some car dealers. I mean, just uh, just ask Herschel. Too soon? Yeah, he's got uh, <laughs> too soon. He's got wow. SC. He's got Miami. I and meant from a football playing standpoint, yeah. not a political standpoint. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't get it. Don't get in my mentions. People. Yeah, he's got SC, Miami, and Georgia as his front three, and I think it's just the fact that, like I said, he's a Georgia kid. And Southern players, man, we like the heat, okay? And at Colorado, that's a different type of code, and that's altitude. And I just don't know that he wants to deal with that, not to mention the Southern women. So I think that Mr. Hunter, you know, he wants to remain down south where he's used to uh, where he's used to being, used to that good heat, very conducive to twitchy skill guys. Tra- Travis Hunter for Boulder Chevrolet doesn't have that quite a ring to it. <laughs> right. I don't know about that. Right. I'd rather do it for Athens Ford, if you know what I mean. What? What? What, what are you looking? What? What? Just, just go to break. Athens, We're late. Just, Ath- just, just, just Athens, go to break. Athens Ford money better than Boulder Chevrolet money. Sorry, Jeff. Don't at me. It is Weston Walker Sports <laughs> Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We'll come back. Campus Corner comes your way next. Devin Leary is on the move. We'll tell you where next on Sports Radio WFNZ. WFNZ, Wesson Walker, Willie P in for Walker. The Walkman back tomorrow coming uh, into a holiday week here on FNZ. We've got a lot going on from the college bowl standpoint. Also a lot going on in the college hoop standpoint. And we will do so with the campus corner right now. First uh, item of business, Devin Leary is on the move, and he is expected to transfer to Kentucky uh, per multiple media outlets reporting his expected whereabouts. How surprised are you by this particular decision, Mr. Bryant? Uh, I'm surprised. I thought maybe he would try to level up and go to a program where he could perhaps compete for a college uh, football playoff appearance, maybe like a Notre Dame or somewhere like that. I just don't understand why a guy would just 
spent five seasons at a place, put in the equity he has, almost 7,000 passing yards, 62 touchdowns, and then just go somewhere else, especially like a Kentucky. I know it's the SEC, and maybe he's seeing what's happening with Will Levis and feels like he can live off some of that magic uh, next season, but I just don't know why you do that. doesn't make sense to me, and to me, this is a uh, lateral move. Uh, 62 touchdowns and 26 starts across four seasons at NC State. He was, according to 24-7 Sports, the number one uh, quarterback uh, and uh, number five player overall in the transfer portal. Maybe he's trying to see what, you know, what Will Levis was able to find under right. that coaching staff. Yeah. Because Will Levis definitely had a little bit of a glow up uh, playing in that system for a couple of years. And they turned him into a pretty decent looking prospect. Is he trying to figure out maybe something similar to that particular? I would think so. And maybe the SEC allure, perhaps. But he's the first big domino to fall uh, in the quarterback pool. As you look at things, I mean, Shador Sanders went to Colorado. But there's still a lot of guys out there. DJ Uyunglele, Brennan Armstrong, when you're talking about ACC guys. So we'll see. But he's the first big domino to fall. And I'm sure other quarterbacks are going to start to make decisions kind of based off of that. Do we have a bowl on today? Uh, there are a couple of bowl games today. There is Eastern Michigan and San Jose State at 3.30 and Liberty and Toledo at 7.30. Mm-hmm. If you're, you're interested. I'm guessing Hugh Freeze is not coaching that Liberty game. No, he would not be. I'm guessing that's I not. don't think so. There's only, one, there's only one tomorrow, which is the New Orleans Bowl, Western mm-hmm. Kentucky and South Alabama. Uh, not, nothing really of interest until, no. about, until about Friday night at 6.30. That's right, baby. That's when it's going to happen. See, I'll be in the office on Friday, yeah. and I'll be all black and gold. The right colors of black and gold. I need y'all to be men and, and make a bet on this. He, he's out, I thought he's, I don't trust Sam Hartman enough to make a bet on him. I don't. I don't I, I, that, that's not my problem. I don't, I don't trust us <laughs> in ball games. We we have we we have lost to much more. This is not to insult. We're two Wake big Forest. chickens. We we have we have not. <laughs> We have not performed well in bowls. We've, we've lost to Army and Navy in my time at Missouri. Okay, like that's we're, we're not uh, we're not the best when it comes to these games in the postseason. Oh! Oh no! Got a little bit of breaking news. What it, happened it, now? It doesn't re. It, it doesn't involve the campus corner. Okay. Um. What happened? Hmm. The Phoenix Suns are going to be sold. I, I think that we kind of knew this was going to be something that it was going to happen. Down the road, but we, Robert Sarver has has some Dan Snyder where he was, you know, willing to fight and do a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when virtually every sponsor threatens to pull out, if, if if he did not sell the franchise, he has come to the conclusion that he no longer needs to own an NBA franchise, and um, they are going to sell the team to Matt Ishba. Ishbia. Ishbia. Okay. Sorry, I don't know billionaires' names like that, Willie. You got you got to you got to go in the right circles to make that happen. Um, but yeah, so some some ownership changes happening in the NBA. Um, I figured I would hit you guys with that, but no, I, I need y'all to roll up your sleeves and make a damn bet. He is the CEO of United Wholesale Mortgages, Matt Ishbia. He uh, apparently will have that sale that will. Uh, hopefully by the 2023 uh, calendar year, actually be finalized and you get Robert Sarver out of the league. He's the uh, the second owner in his uh, recent years here has been uh, forced out by the NBA. Of course, you remember what happened with Donald Sterling with the LA Clippers. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, the purchase price is in the neighborhood of $4 billion. What do you think the Hornets would sell for if MJ put them on the open market? Probably around the same. Yeah, a lot. Probably about $5 billion, $4 or $5 billion. You got to think. A lot of it has to do with, you know, 
what it means to a particular market and, and what else is in the market. The fact that we have an NFL team in the market, I think, drives the price up. Same thing goes for Phoenix there. Um, I do feel like, though, it's something that uh, would be around that 4 or $5 billion. And people were looking at this as a potential litmus test for any other uh, any other deals that would come along the way. I don't think the Hornets seal is on it, though. I, I, people keep saying, oh, I think MJ should start. I don't think that's having it, though. Uh, rest of the campus corner, Duke Wake Forest tonight. Are the Blue Devils on upset alert there for your uh, for your Deeks there, Mr. Bryant? Uh, I don't think so, even though Wake is in the top six in the ACC in multiple categories, mainly scoring offense and three-point field goal percentage. But this is a Duke team that defensively is locked and loaded. They've held all 12 opponents below their scoring average this season, and six have scored their season low for points. So this is a Blue Devils team that defensively is on it. They lead the ACC in offensive rebounds per game and rebounding margins, scoring defense, all that good stuff. So this is a Duke team that they're not shooting the ball excellent, but they're going to make things uh, very difficult on you defensively. And if you miss a shot, they're going to be on those boards. My Deeks also have to deal with Mr. Kyle Filipowski. He's the first rookie in ACC history to open the season with four straight Rookie of the Week awards. So he is balling. We talked about him last week when um, – Coach, oh, what's the coach from Carolina that comes in here? Matt Doherty. Matt Doherty yes. said that he was uh, the closest thing to Christian Leitner. So he gave him uh, big praise and a long time in the, in the Duke program. But to answer your question, no, I don't think so. Uh, I think they'll have a game plan for Tyree Appleby. I would love for the Deeks to upset him. We did it a couple of years ago. I would love for it to happen. But this Duke team is so good uh, defensively, and I feel like they get enough from their guys offensively as a collective, that it's going to be uh, difficult on the team. Virginia and and uh, excuse me, uh, Virginia and Miami, a little sneaky matchup tonight there in Coral Gables, the fight in Laranegas and the fighting Tony Bennett's. Uh, I'm very curious to see what what Miami can do with this one because they've had a lot of great wins here in the uh, non-conference season, but uh, they will obviously get a turn up here when it comes to this revitalized Virginia squad. Yeah, no doubt about it. But the Virginia Cavaliers will be an angry bunch. I think this is one of the nation's best teams. I think they're the best team in the ACC right now, and I think they will be probably this season. Uh, and coming off that loss to Houston, I'm sure they're not too thrilled about that, so I think they'll be looking to make a statement tonight against Jim Laranega, one of my favorite coaches to talk to. Every time I see him, I always tell him I'm going to get back on the plane with him and go down to Miami, one of my favorites. Also, the, to go. the Jumpman Invitational <laughs> begins tonight. Uh, the women's side come, begins uh, this evening with the Michigan women against the women of North Carolina and Florida men and the Oklahoma men. And then they will reverse it uh, and do the next day of matchups with Michigan men and the North Carolina men tomorrow and the Florida women and the Oklahoma women. So nice couple of double dips here tonight and tomorrow over at the Spectrum Center. That is the campus corner here on this Tuesday, the 20th of December. We will come back, get back. Back into some basketball, but in the NBA sense, LaMelo Ball shines in the Hornets' eighth victory of the year. Could this be a turning point for the Bugs? Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.